Good morning, good evening. My name is Kevin Garber. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 38. Um, I'll just double check. It is episode number 38, James. Yeah, it's number 38. Okay, I lose, I lose track. It all becomes a big blur in this crazy world of tech startups. We are coming to you semi-live from Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan. Um, the, some of the managed flutter team are in New York uh, for TechCrunch Disrupt. We had TechCrunch Disrupt earlier this week where we showcased managed flutter. We're also having a managed flutter social media evening on Monday night in New York. If you are listening from New York, please join us. Go to the managed flutter blog to find out how or tweet us if you want to know more. We're also having a managed flutter masterclass in New York next week, New York time. Um, to uh, uh, we'll have some of the senior members of Managed Flutter going through Managed Flutter and answering all your questions. So check out our blog for that as well. Um, so don't know what time it is in your part of the world, but um, it is Friday the 9th of May 2014 um, in New York, and we are coming to you um, semi-live from New York this time. We have had a couple of issues getting the um, keeping the podcast going we are a little bit late we try to get it out every two weeks but um, please forgive us if we miss a couple of weeks here and there and don't forget to subscribe on itunes and um, comment on on the site etc um, we've got a great show as usual. We, we have some terrific interviews from the TechCrunch Disrupt conference. We interviewed some um, some interesting hardware startups and um, as usual we got some tech news um, it's been a busy week as always it's always a busy week in our industry that's why we like it um, and um, James let's start out let's start out with the big news story that just broke overnight that Apple to buy Beats Audio for 1.3 billion dollars yeah it's kind of a crazy amount it definitely um, took me a bit by surprise when I uh, when I saw this story coming out I mean, to me, um, Beats and Apple, they kind of operate on very different ends of the spectrum. It's, um, you know, Beats is kind of all about the brand and the marketing and sort of being cool. And while Apple is cool, it's sort of less about the marketing. It's more about the product. Um, and in, in some ways, it almost feels like it kind of tarnishes Apple's image, actually, to me, the acquisition a little bit. Um, you know, I've always appreciated that you're just always going to get really reliable hardware with Apple. And um, that doesn't seem to be the case with Beats. It just seems to be sort of expensive marketing. It's a bit more like the fashion of, of technology, really, the sort of high fashion technology. So yeah, it's an interesting acquisition. Um, but yeah, I don't totally understand it. I mean, what's your what's your thoughts on it? I've been doing a little bit of reading around the acquisition, and it is quite interesting. I, I think significantly um, the two people involved behind Beats are very heavyweight people in the music industry, um, at the business end of the music industry. Dr. Dre, who's produced everyone from Eminem to um, Jay-Z, and of course he's a musician in his own right. He's he's uh, part of the Beats um, a founding team, as well as as Jimmy Iovine, who's who is a very famous record uh, company creator. Um, he created a record company uh, that was very successful. So, I I also wonder if it's a little bit of a a very expensive acqui hire as well to to work with that team. Of course, um, Beats the two main areas of Beats are the headphones, uh, Beats by Dre, which which is a very strong brand, and um, the streaming music service, which I think it's $9.99 a month, compete to Spotify, Pandora. But interestingly, they've taken a slightly different take in that they've said that they put a lot of effort into curating their playlists 
by journalists, music journalists and DJs. And I know um, both you and I are very big Spotify users and it's one issue that I've, I've often thought about is, is there's an opportunity um, to, to really crank up that playlist functionality. Yeah, it definitely makes sense that it could be a defensive play um, by Apple. Um, and actually, speaking of the Spotify playlist, have you used Spotify much recently? I've seen they did a major UI update. They've changed it. It's all it's a black black user interface now. I don't know, and it's it's a bit slicker and a few bits and pieces. I don't know if there's anything else significant that's changed. So yeah, actually, one of the main things they have done um, is they've actually introduced a whole new playlist type functionality. And so you can kind of actually browse through playlists and there's all like the curator lists of like top um, like electronic tracks and emerging stuff and all this stuff. There's things that I really liked from uh, Twitter. used to have this Twitter music thing they've now shut down. But anyway, now Spotify is doing this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, they are actually rolling out these curated lists. So maybe it is in response to, to Beats and um, and yeah, it is definitely a threat to the to iTunes. I definitely can see that. Who's curating these lists? Does Spotify say or they, they don't say who curates them? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm not totally sure. I mean, I've got a feeling some are user curated and some are actually by the Spotify staff. I haven't actually really looked into into, into too much depth. Um, I mean, they're pretty good, though. I mean, I've, I've been listening to a few. I mean, it's actually how I like to consume music because it's really nice. I'm kind of just find like a playlist of stuff that's being curated by somebody and, it, you know, you can discover new stuff through there. So particularly their, their emerging playlists, I think, are, are really good. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, you know, Apple used to control for the last 10 years the music consumption via iTunes, and it was a big money spinner. Um, and I think they've been hit very, very hard. I mean, I, for one, I'm a big music fan. I used to spend a lot of money on iTunes. Um, I cannot remember the last time that I purchased a song on iTunes. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, I haven't looked at their figures. I mean, I would, um, my guess would be that it's probably offset by their their growth. I mean, obviously iTunes keeps growing just because of the growth of Apple products and Apple's general success and how it's integrated into everything they do. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're seeing the metrics and each, you know, per user, particularly the, um, the um, what's right, bleeding edge consumers, that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I could definitely see that the, uh, consumption of iTunes be dropping off makes a lot of sense. I mean, they did launch iTunes Radio, um, but um, I haven't heard much talk or know anyone that uses it. No, and they've got that that iTunes Match thing. I'm not sure if that's the same thing or whatever, where they like matched up against your um, playlist. But um, yeah, no, they definitely they definitely missed the ball there. So yeah, maybe maybe that could be what they're trying to fill with this with the acquisition and and the fact that it's got the strong brand. Um, if you then add sort of Apple's marketing and um, integration behind it, it could make it a very powerful streaming music service. I can see that. And of course, for Apple, it is it is such a drop in the ocean. I mean, their balance sheet is showing around 150 billion with the B dollars of cash. That's like cash sitting in your account. So they're only spending 1.3 of that. So, uh, you know, Apple's one of the most cashed up, if not the most cashed up company in the world in terms of cash reserves. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, as you were saying, it's like just one week of their, or is it three weeks? Three weeks of their cash reserves or something. So they just need to wait three weeks to pay it off. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You can imagine the interest they earn on $150 billion. It's, it's almost, 
you know that's a business model just in itself at that at that level um anyway that's that's apple and uh, beats by dre getting purchased by apple um twitter share price this week just really really got hammered um there was the the staff lockup period ended so some of the staff the early staff that had um, shares were allowed to sell it for the first time and the stock plummeted nearly 20 percent twitter peaked at over 70 it listed at 26 dollars it ran nearly to over 70 dollars and it came back to to just under 30 dollars and now it's sitting at about $32. Of course, Twitter have rolled out a, quite a lot of changes and there's all sorts of talk about whether, you know, uh, they, they they do have issues with uh, user number growth. But if this is just the beginning of reinventing Twitter and it's going to great places or this is the beginning of the end. Yeah, it's a hard one to know. I mean, when we get into all this kind of stuff, I mean, it's very interesting to look at, look at how the market responded. I mean, because it was after all of their... Um, their their figures about the um um uh, about how their user growth has been low even though their revenue has been great um and just how how bad a sign that is and i mean i think that's probably just that you know the market's kind of corrected itself a little bit i mean i know we talked a lot about when the stock price came out and it jumped up to 70 it was kind of a little bit crazy considering the the numbers to have that it would jump up so high so I'm just a little bit of correction and then all this, um, you know, with the lockout period ending and decreasing even further, I think it's I think it's probably good. I mean, I think now the the stock is probably a little undervalued. So, you know, it's 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 down to sort of much more reasonable levels. Um, but, I mean, personally, I just hope this kind of um, makes Twitter kind of, you know, think a little bit more about their, their user growth and pro- possibly um, opposed just their revenue growth. I mean, they've focused so heavily on... I'm building out their marketing side and their advertising side and definitely to the expense of, of you know, doing things that would be, you know, best for the ecosystem and, and their long-term um, success. So, I mean, yeah, I hope this makes them focus on it. I mean, interestingly, Wall Street usually is obsessed with revenue numbers, but with Twitter, they've actually been obsessed with user growth numbers, which is quite interesting. You know, usually one of the reasons why companies don't go public is so that they can focus on investing and growing out the business in ways that don't necessarily always um, impact revenue in a positive way in the short term. But but Twitter's revenue numbers have been good and their user numbers have been ordinary and Wall Street's not liking that, which is quite interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. I mean, uh, you know, it goes back to that um, price rise up to up to the $70, whatever it was. I, mean, I think people, you know, at that point it wasn't totally clear whether whether Twitter was going to sort of long-term be competitive with Facebook and whether they were going to sort of end up on the same level. And I think everybody's looking at sort of Facebook's price and saying, well, it's got all this room to grow if it's if it's going to hit sort of Facebook's level. Um, but, yeah, if those user numbers don't keep going up, then it, it makes the chance that they'll be able to compete um, with Facebook long-term, um, you know, much, much more questionable. Um, and Facebook just keeps on doing great stuff as well. Like I'm really impressed by some of the moves they've made lately and, um, and yeah, it just seems like they can do no wrong. So I think that's probably the dichotomy between the two makes it even worse. They've, they're also sitting on a massive amount of cash and, and not only that, their, their Facebook shares as currency. So they're in a very strong position for acquisitions and, and it's definitely one thing. Twitter, Twitter doesn't seem to, well, on the face of it, I mean, they've made a lot of acquisitions, you know, that help in their back end and acquire hires and things like that. But in terms of 
a high profile home run acquisition like a sort of YouTube was to Google or, or something like that. They, they haven't really made anything. Um, there are rumors that they're going to buy this amazing company called Manage Flitter and it's that's going to be the most successful acquisition to date by far all the analysts are just really you know they, they're very bullish about that acquisition yeah keep hearing keep hearing stuff about managed flitter i don't know why it must be, must be a big one and you know we're, we're nice guys i mean you know 1.3 billion 1.2 billion we, we negotiable right yeah, 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 even even one point one, if they you know if they threw in a, a sweetener or something, yeah. Yeah, okay, we'll leave it at one point one though. We that's anything less than that, you know. Um, anyway, that's Twitter. Always an interesting stock to follow. It's still fascinating times for Twitter, and um, Twitter's definitely here to stay. And um, I don't know, I I um, I think. $30 or less is definitely worth buying Twitter at the long term. I think over $30, it's still still a little bit of a punt. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, now now's probably a good time to buy. I think if, you, if you're in the market for Twitter stock, it's unlikely to get much cheaper than, than this. Um, so, yeah, no, I'd, I'd hope that they'll keep, you know, keep pushing on the, the user numbers and hopefully in, you know, six months or 12 months time they'll be doing you know double or four times the price so yeah i agree um if you've if if you're looking if you know to, to put some spare savings i would probably put a bit into twitter now at, at around 30 dollars um, don't i am not licensed to give financial advice so that's not advice um also index funds i always speak about tech index funds you know tech tech for the long term is here to stay um, nice way to just dump them in there, forget about it, and leave, leave them for 10 years, 20 years. Um, anyway, that's Twitter and my little financial advice segment. Um, you know, it's actually quite a serious offense to give financial advice if you're not licensed for it. I, I, I've known people that have got into serious trouble for that and, um, you know, tr tell people what to do with their life savings when when they're not allowed to. It's... Um, Anyway, we digress. Um, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast. We hope you can join us in New York City on Monday, the 12th of May, I believe. Um, at 6 p.m. in Soho, we're having a social media evening. If you're in New York City, come and meet us, the co-founders of Managed Flitter. We've got some great talks. We've got a panel. We've got pizza. we hopefully even got the, the awesome Just Domain coming in and playing some music. So it's going to be a really terrific night if you can make it to New York City. And um, it's only $8. Bargain. So what's that? That's, um, that's one-third one third of a Twitter, Twitter share? Mm, yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. You can, in fact, buy some Twitter shares, then come to the event. It might help boost up Twitter shares. You never know. Exactly. So come along to, um, to our event. Have a look at the blog. We're going to take a little break, and then we are going to go to the floor of TechCrunch Disrupt, where we, um, I interviewed, and Chelsea, who's one of the managed for the team members, also interviewed um, one of the, um, a couple of the interesting tech startups in um, the TechCrunch Disrupt um, startup um, Ali Hall. So stay with us and we'll be back in a moment. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. 
Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. You're back with Kevin Garber at the It's a Monkey podcast, and I'm live on the floor of the TechCrunch Disrupt final day. And the final day on the floor, we have some of the um, hardware startups. And I noticed a company a couple of weeks ago do an interesting um, Kickstarter campaign, Sio. And um, I was just walking around the floor here, and I saw that they actually um, have a little stand here. So I was pretty excited. And um, with me, I have George uh, Sharon who's uh, from Sio. Dro, thanks, uh, thanks for uh, sort of squeaking me in. I know you, you guys have been one of the busiest stands on the hardware floor here. Yeah, it's been crazy for us. The company name is actually Consumer Physics and the product name is Sio. But yeah, we've been very, very busy. So just um, for, the, for, for someone listening, just give a brief snapshot of the, um, the amazing um, sort of uh, what, what this product does. So Sio is the uh, first molecular sensor that fits in the palm of your hand. What that means is that we scan the underlying chemical properties of materials using molecular fingerprints. We take that molecular fingerprint, send it to our cloud for analysis, and then send it to your phone. Uh, and you get into your smartphone instant relevant information about the world around you. So basically, I mean, that's a lot of um, sort of detail, but basically the cool thing is you can use it to see. <laughs> Sorry. So you can run this, you can edit it. So, well, what this does, it can actually give you the underlying nutritional value of uh, materials around your food in real time, can tell you what pills you're about to uh, digest, can uh, tell you a lot of chemical properties of things you touch, drink, eat, buy, gift every day. I, I was watching you do a demonstration there on different products, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think you just, uh, and just to tell someone listening, it's, 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 the device is actually really small. Um, it just fits well within the palm of your hand. You sort of zap your food or your tablet and uh, sends the data to the cloud and comes back and tells you the composition of uh, the materials. So great for um, um, testing um, um, all different, anything that you ingest into your body as, as a start. Any other use cases? Yeah, so we envision this being used in uh, industries such as the food and agriculture. So these are things that we ingest into our body. Uh, it's been used in the pharmaceuticals, so anything that has to do with uh, man-made chemicals. Also used in oil and gas industries, so things that are derivatives of the petrochemical industries, like cosmetics, like plastics you can analyze, and also jewelry and luxury goods. So you can actually go around and measure leather, measure diamonds, etc., precious stones. Now, how do you guys, because uh, you guys have got this product down pretty cheap. You're running a, a Kickstarter campaign that's over $1 million. Um, to approximately $200 for the device, is that correct? Correct. You can get a uh, device for $200 if you back our Kickstarter campaign right now. I mean, that sounds pretty cheap for what it does. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so we have a team that uh, from the get-go wanted to make this very low-cost, very, uh, very efficient in terms of the manufacturing capabilities, and we've been at it for three years now. So this is the culmination of work of many, many talented engineers for over three years. Just to change tack on the topic a little bit, um, you guys are out of Israel. Why, how do you guys just generate so much 
interesting, brilliant startup activity um, out of that tiny country? Um, that's a great. I mean, it's a great question. I can tell you about myself. Uh, the team that we recruited just can't take no for an answer. There's no challenge that they won't uh, step up to the plate to. And I think in general, uh, people are willing to kind of imagine a world that's a little different and just go get it. So, you know, the usually, usually, you know, Israelis are pretty brash and they have a lot of what is called chutzpah. Uh-huh. You know, you know the type if you ever uh, heard one coming down the street. And I think that works pretty well when you're in a startup because uh, you really need to work through adversity. You need to be very comfortable with risk, be very comfortable with uh, uncertainty. So in a startup environment, that's actually pretty useful. Tell you a little story about uh, four years ago, I was uh, uh, on the floor with one of our products and uh, two young Israeli guys were next to me with the, with the product and uh, they sold their business three years later um, for about $20 million. So um, yeah, I was uh, really happy for them and really impressive. So I hope, I hope you have even bigger success, Dror. Thank you very, very much. We'll put the link uh, on the podcast, but appreciate your time. Okay, so I've got Neil here. Neil Jogglecar, did I get it right? That's, that was pretty good. Was it? What, how, how do you actually say it? Jogglecar, you got it. Fantastic. I'm like, I'm great. And, and I'm speaking uh, to Neil from Napwell. Neil, tell me a little bit about Napwell. So Napwell is the world's first napping mask. Um, it's designed to help people wake up without sleep inertia, which is that headache, groggy feeling you get when you wake up from a deep sleep cycle. Okay, and so how does it determine what time you should wake up? So it kind of works like an alarm clock. You set the timer for the amount of time you want to nap or sleep, and then 10 minutes before you wake up, the lights gradually become brighter, so you wake up happy. <laughs> Do you guarantee happiness? Um, we've seen a pretty, uh, through our testing, extensive testing, we've seen that a majority of the time people are happy when they wake up. That's fantastic. Now, obviously, you must integrate with some kind of application. Is that right? So at this point, it's actually a standalone device. Um, That's important for us because it has to be used on an airplane or in an area where there's no Wi-Fi. Um, Having a battery-powered gadget is actually uh, important. No, no, that is a very good good point. Um, Have you sort of explored options to integrate with sort of um, other fitness hardware such as Fitbit? So these are things that we're looking at right now. At this point, we're focused 100% on making this mask both as comfortable and useful as possible, but that's sort of the next step. You know, um, the team have come over from Sydney, Australia to TechCrunch, and what we noticed is it takes at least three solid days to get over the jet lag. I mean, have you extensively researched ways that, you know, how this type of this type of hardware can help people with things such as jet lag sleep apnea yeah so the reason the jet lag affects you so much is that it changes your circadian rhythms and so actually light therapy or ways to wake up with light will actually help you reset those and so this mask is used extensively by business travelers for long flights for that reason um, and it helps quite a bit that's fantastic. Um, so with NetWell, what are the biggest challenges that you've faced with, you know, creating, you know, the actual products to, you know, I'm not sure, if, are you by yourself here? Do you have a team? Definitely sewing. I'd never sewed before, but now I'm becoming pretty darn good at it. Um, so for me, I have a software background, so I've run a couple of software companies. So hardware is very new for me, which makes it exciting at the same time. And so... I've been pretty proud that we've been able to learn all the skills necessary to actually construct something that you can touch. And was the inspiration for this product purely out of a problem that you had with yourself? Like, did you experience headaches personally? Yes. Yeah, so I uh, founded the company with a friend of mine. He is a PhD at Harvard Medical School. 
And so we both shared a hatred for that hangover feeling when you wake up from naps, and we just wanted to figure out a way to solve it. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you've, um, yeah, developed a complete solution to, I mean, personally, I don't have headaches. I sleep pretty well, but I do understand. You're lucky then. <laughs> I do understand the pain with, you know, restlessness or bad sleep or like your day just being affected by, um, you know, having an issue with sleep. I think sleep's a very underappreciated problem. Everyone does it, but not everyone knows it too much about it and so I think right now we're, we're the science is sort of catching up to that curiosity which makes products like ours interesting. Fantastic thanks Neil so much for your time um, look I hope to see this product in Australia Awesome, thanks so much Thank you Hello everyone, this is Chelsea Plowett reporting from uh, TechCrunch and Startup Alley. Today we have the hardware. Um, so I've just come across and I've met Dave McLean. He's from Butterfly, Lab, Butterfly Labs. Hi Dave. Hello. How are you going today? Great, how are you? I'm good. How are you finding TechCrunch 2014? It's very exciting. A lot of neat, uh, lot of neat uh, products and, and services coming to the, the marketplace soon. Fantastic. Look, I came across um, Butterfly Labs essentially because we've recently um, interviewed the founder of Dogecoin and I haven't actually come across a mining chip before, especially in the flesh. Um, tell me a little bit about your product. So we make uh, Bitcoin mining hardware. It is, uh, this is our fourth generation of Bitcoin mining hardware, uh, our second generation that is ASIC based. Uh, we've been in existence since 2011, and uh, this next generation uh, that we uh, should be shipping here very soon is the industry leader as far as uh, power consumption and efficiencies. And um, what has been your biggest challenge with uh, developing this sort of hardware? Trying to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, Bitcoin mining is a bit of a treadmill. Uh, you have to uh, have the latest and greatest and use the latest and greatest technology to stay ahead of the ever-increasing uh, difficulty and hashing power that comes onto the network. And what type of clients are you working with at the moment? I mean, have you been talking with any big corporations or is it sort of just individuals at the moment? We work with everyone uh, from... Uncle Joe, mom and pop, to uh, industrial scale miners. Fantastic. And how old um, has Butterfly? How old is Butterfly Labs? We've been around since uh, August of 2011. Fantastic. And have you always worked with Bitcoin? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of different applications for this type of hardware, but Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin mining has uh, pretty much consumed us thus far. And um, have you really seen uh, like an insurgence of Bitcoin? I mean, a, a lot of people in Australia that I speak to, particularly within my network, don't necessarily know what Bitcoin is, primarily because they're not in the tech industry. But, um, you know, is it common knowledge to, to know about these uh, cryptocurrencies? I think we're still at the very uh, beginning of the adoption curve. Uh, although uh, I know from... Uh, when we were at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas um, a year ago, uh, not many people had heard of Bitcoin. Uh, conversely, uh, transversely, this year uh, when we were there, uh, the knowledge of what Bitcoin was, or at least had heard of Bitcoin, was significantly higher. 
so I, I think, you know, like I said, I, although I think we're at the very beginning of the, uh, the adoption curve, I think the knowledge level is ever increasing. Now, where do you see your hardware in about five years' time? Well, that's a, that's a hard question because, um, you know, our current generation is uh, based on 28 nanometer chips, uh, ASIC chips. Uh, our next generation um, will be probably a 14 or a 16 nanometer uh, chip, uh, although we don't really know exactly where that will be. That's pretty much where, where that's the limit of where that chip technology is at. So it's very hard to say what, what that will look like in, in five years. And if you don't mind me asking, uh, how much would one of these set you back? Well, we have a couple of different uh, options. We have our 600 gigahash uh, air-cooled machine, and it runs about um, just under $2,200. And then we have our water-cooled version uh, that produces about uh, one terahash uh, of processing power, and it runs just under $3,000. Wow, that's a terahash. Terahash is uh, it's a unit of measure uh, of processing power. That's incredible. Look, thank you very much for uh, your time today. I wish you the absolute best of luck, and I uh, hope to see uh, Bitcoin, you know, more co a common currency in the future. Thanks very much. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James, I love SIO. I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's the way of the future. Yeah, it's very interesting tech. I mean, it's, um, it looks a lot like... Um, I mean, the technology behind it is probably actually very similar to the kind of stuff you see in the Mars rover, you know, you know that stuff where they like shoot laser beams at the rocks and then they, um, they analyze the spectrum of the, uh, elements of the minerals and stuff inside of it. So yeah, it's a very cool idea. Um, I mean, it's the kind of thing you can imagine, you know, maybe in five, 10 years, sort of just, you know, being on your phone or whatever. And, um, and you can like scan your food before you eat it and it knows exactly how many calories it's got in it or, or whatever, or it can tell you if it's poisonous or something. There's, there's all kinds of ways the technology could go. So yeah, it is a very exciting new, new piece of technology. I think if we could link it in with the human body and then uh, you, these apps will actually tell you what you need to eat on that meal on that day to optimize your health for the day. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of complexities to it. I mean, and, you know, when you actually get this product, I mean, there's there's some things that concern me. Like, obviously, it depends where, like, if the food isn't um, homogenous, if it's not the same consistency all the way through, then, you know, it depends where you're actually sampling it. And presumably, it's a little bit destructive to whatever you're you're eating. You're going to end up with, like, holes in your apple or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's, like, I haven't actually seen it seen it working, but I presume there's, there's all these w things that make it a little bit of a challenge to sort of make it a sort of... Um, a mass market consumer product but yeah there's tons and tons of potential there it's the kind of you know anything that kind of reveals hidden elements of the world like i think it's just fascinating so and particularly in a consumer consumer level device yeah it's really interesting
I mean, I, I saw it work. He, he showed, showed it to me. It's about the size of a mouse, or maybe a little bit smaller. And he just holds it over the food or the, or the tablet. And there's a little attachment for tablets because tablets are so small. So they've sort of got to put them in a little container. So it holds it nicely and scans it. And pushes, it looks like a little infrared scanner. And that's it. Not as dr- dramatic and creative as uh, laser beams, but that would, that would be sort of cool. Um, and that's it. And it just and then he picks up his phone and it just gives a little sort of reading and breakdown of sugars and fats and a few other sort of bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, they got a Kickstarter campaign. I think it was over a million already when it last looked. Um, anyway, they've raised a lot of money. It's only $200. So if you're interested in a device that you hold in your hand, you push a button and it gives you analysis of your food, um, jewelry, tablets, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to order one. I'm, I'm really curious to, I love this. As you said, you know, you put it very well, um, you know, technology that reveals things we can't see, you know, and part of the hidden world. Actually, you know what it reminds me of? It's a bit like um, like a tricorder from Star Trek, right? It's like the you know this tech we've we've always kind of knew would be possible, but we didn't have. It's like something you can kind of hold out and just kind of analyze the environment around you and reveal that information. So, yeah, I think it's awesome. I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to see where it's going to go. I mean, I'm probably not going to get one personally because I'm not going to carry around and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'd love to see sort of the next generation and um, and this kind of technology getting smaller. Um, I mean, from what I understand from the from the physics point of view, I can't see any reason why it's not the kind of thing you couldn't sort of compress into a chip and um, and you know have right in your phone. So yeah, that'd be cool. iPhone seven. iPhone seven. That'll be the new feature. So. Yeah, Apple will buy them, right? For probably, yeah, yeah, probably, probably, yeah. I mean, I can definitely see, I can definitely see that being an acquisition target. It's exactly the kind of. Um, you know, it's just the, it's a bit almost like the fingerprint scanner in the iPhones. It's like that, that thing that you just can't really do um, beforehand. So, yeah, it's very cool tech. And of course, one of my interests is uh, entrepreneurship and, and all of that, that bits and pieces and I, um, everything relating around to, to tech startups. And he made some interesting points about the, um, the attitude of entrepreneurs in Israel, which are quite important to, to any entrepreneurship ecosystem about the 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 culture of risk taking and and believing that nothing's impossible yeah no it definitely helps if you've got a sort of um high risk risk threshold and ability to believe in yourself so yeah no it makes sense the other product that chelsea um interviewed um, someone from a nap well which is a, a mask i'm looking at it now look it looks like just a bigger version of those masks you get on the airplane um, and it's developed by MIT engineers, and it's supposed to help you. Um, it's also a Kickstarter campaign. Um, they've only raised fifty thousand dollars. I'm going to have a look just quickly how much Sio um, Sio has raised. Um, there we go. Sio, your six cents, a pocket molecular sensor for all. Um, 1.1 million with 36 days to go. Not bad, huh? Yeah, no, it's great. I don't think there are that many products that reach the million mark these days on Kickstarter, so it's good. Um, Napwell, 
what do you think about so it's designed by engineers at MIT Harvard and Stanford the nap well helps you nap more efficiently and lead a more productive life I mean that's everyone wants that right yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, sleep and all that kind of stuff is something that's always interested me. I've always found it fascinating. Um, I love playing around with technologies, like stuff you can have on your phone that um, optimizes when you wake up. Um, I mean, they tend to have sort of limited success, I find. I mean, it's, it's you know, they can, they can help sometimes, but it tends to be a bit anecdotal. I mean, I'd really like to see some sort of, like, studies on this stuff and whether it really does improve. Um, improve your sleep. Um, I mean, it's an interesting idea, and I can see it being the kind of thing you could put on your head when you get in a plane, um, and that genuinely does sort of help you sleep through the flight. Um, I mean, it seems like its magic is that it um, that it lights up slowly, so it kind of helps you wake up a bit better. So it's a bit more of a natural sort of like waking up to the light in the morning, um, and you can kind of um, set your your body rhythms i think i'm sure that i'm sure there's some sort of science behind it in that sense that that would help you wake up so it's a bit interesting i mean the one thing i find a little bit odd about the product is, is if you notice it's got like a little um clock on it and so if you've got this mask on you've actually got like a li- little digital display of how long you've got less left to sleep so I, I don't know if i'm seeing it in a public place i don't want people to kind of look at me and it's like Oh yeah, he's gonna be asleep for twenty minutes. So you know, <laughs> what have we got this time? To, I don't know. It just seems a bit weird. Like it's not the kind of thing I want to display, you know, on my face when I'm when I'm having a nap. How long I've I've set my nap for? But um, but yeah, no, that's an, an interesting product. I, I like it. I'm I'm also interested in sleep and and maximizing sleep. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I, I'm more like the you know the products that you can wear like as a watch or something like that. That's that's less intrusive. I mean, a mask is pretty. I understand it's you know why it's a mask, but it's 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 a bit of a. Um, you you have to be really motivated to go to sleep with a mask on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I actually use a mask when I sleep anyway because I've got sleep apnea. But um, but that's a different. That's a breathing mask. But. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing you probably really have to get into the habit of. Um, I mean, it's I guess it would be kind of useful on a plane. I mean, I can't really see myself using it in any other situation. Um, um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'd, I'd definitely use it if it would help with jet lag. There's no doubt. I mean, the New York-Sydney jet lag is probably one of the worst, not only because... It's it's literally opposite when Sydney's going to sleep, New York's waking up, so you, you have to do this one hundred and eighty degree turnaround. But the 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 high energy of New York as well, I think compounds it as well. But um if I, if wearing a mask would help with that, um I would absolutely so you know, wear it. So maybe in these these sort of niche environments, but as on a home day to day basis I'd happily rather just have a one of those watches that track you and wake you up when your sleep cycles at its, you know, most restful or le- least deep. <coughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. No, it's um I probably wouldn't buy this version, but maybe I wait to see what the next version is and something like that. So. I mean, uh, it's good to see some hardware. Uh, you know, we always talk about software, but it was great. TechCrunch are trying to push hardware at their conferences a lot, which is actually a, um, it's terrific to see because there's really interesting bits and pieces. There's a, a real interesting coming together of the tech combined with the uh, biology behind tech. And um, I think the next 10 years 
are going to be one seriously interesting time for using tech to understand our own bodies better. Yeah, they had some really cool um, products there. I quite like that little mini mini drone as well at Disrupt. It was the first time I'd seen one. It's kind of about the size, um, well, I guess, smaller than a, probably about the size of a wallet. And it was just sort of like a tiny little thing that they had like a HD camera on and just zoomed about the place. Almost a bit like a, like a little bird, I guess. So it's very interesting to see some of the, the innovative um, products that are coming out. Did you see the drone that was controlled by a finger? So they had they had a little like like a thimble that you put on your finger, and you sort of you know twisted and moved your hand, and it con- and you were controlling the drone. Hmm, no, that wasn't sense, was it? It's not the ring thing. I think it was the ring thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the I think the product must be the ring, but maybe they had just like a drone to show it off. So I don't know exactly how it works, but I think it's a bit like Leap, so it kind of measures where your hand is and how it moves. But, yeah, that, that was interesting tech as well. Yeah, very, very interesting tech. Um, okay, I think that's it for episode number 38. Um, please um, tweet us, follow us on Twitter. Please tell your friends about us. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, let us know. We uh, like our egos stroked. And just tell us and we'll just keep it going. It is a little bit of an effort for us to do these podcasts. So the more um, we hear from you folk, the better it is. And hopefully catch you in two weeks' time. So from Kevin and James, thanks for joining us. Have a good one.